0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Hump Day, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully, everybody is having a great week. Um... Three of us out of the four in my household have pneumonia right now. So that really sucks. It's uh, walking pneumonia and uh, it's uh, kind of contagious. So we've had to isolate ourselves from everybody else and just spend a lot of time inside waiting for this thing to pass. Um, And it sucks. So hopefully your week is going better than mine. However, I did get the opportunity on Monday to talk with the guy who we're going to be talking with today. His name is Mike DiNapoli from out east and I thought I was a gear nut. This guy is a gear nut, all capital letters. He. Our, our first contact with each other was an email that he sent me that was like seven, seven pages long Of all these different products that he has tested and that he has you know put through the ringer and I'm like okay this guy is obviously smarter than me so I need to get him on the podcast to talk about all these products that uh, he has reviewed um, in the past so today is podcast number one with Mike and it's gonna be kind of a running series that we're gonna be doing hopefully throughout the entire summer Of all the products that he has reviewed over the past couple years Um, and he was doing this before this podcast even existed so um, today however we're going to be talking about a tree saddle and the gearhead t24 bow now um, this podcast was supposed to have taken place long before I was ever a partner with GearHead, but uh, it just so happens that this is how it's going to, uh, this is where it's landing. So uh, I try to keep my personal opinions to myself about the bow just so I, I stay as unbiased as humanly possible On um, because GearHead is a partner of the podcast. But I ask the right questions and get him talking about, uh, typically, or technically, I didn't even need to ask him questions. Basically, he could uh, come on the podcast and just talk about whatever he wants to talk about. But uh, like I said, today, we're going to uh, talk about uh, Tree Saddle. I know we've had a couple uh, podcasts so far that have involved the Tree Saddle, um, the Gearhead T24. And as this series continues... Um, we're going to be talking about a variety of other different topics. Uh, arrows, trail cameras are just two that uh, are on the top of my head and uh, probably much more. Um, so I'm excited to uh, you know to do this because I love technical talk about products. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons I started this podcast. So look forward to more of those. Now, before I get into today's podcast... Um, I don't know if I made the announcement on this podcast yet, but this past weekend I was, uh, me and my wife found out that our third child is going to be a boy. And, uh, you know, we're both, we really didn't care what the sex was as long as the the baby's healthy. And so far it is now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because (laughs) the due date, and uh, this is dumb on my part, but the due date is September 28th. And, uh, that is right before the season starts. So having a newborn at home during October, um, this, this hunting season is going to be tough for me to get out and, um, to get out and actually spend 100, you know, grind it out. Like I typically do, I'm going to have to be very efficient with, my moves coming this fall and what i mean by that is you know probably not hunting a lot early season making every trip to my farm count whether that's to hunt or to check trail cameras to move tree stands whatever and what i'm working up to is deer lab i'm going to be relying on a lot of information that deer lab um Shows me from previous years, like what days are the heaviest um, travel in some of the pinch points, uh, what days and what weather patterns show the best movement. Um, I have, you know, if some of these deer made it through the season, I have a handful of hitless bucks that I would really like to uh, um, chase. So going back, looking at their information that I've already labeled and set aside in Deer Lab Um, going back and through that and saying, okay, this buck I've named Randy, he shows up um, on this part of the farm on October 15th, but he didn't make any daylight movement until um, like the 30th of October. And uh, then uh, somewhere around November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, he uh, started making daylight movement. And that's... I, that's when i'll probably wait because um, of all the years to tag out early this will be the one to do it and uh so again three kids now and a, a, a wife with a newborn it might get a little tricky come fall but um you know that's why i have to be efficient and deer lab is one of those uh, tools that allows me to do that and uh, you know study the deer movement and whatnot but go check out deerlab.com and, uh, slash nine fingers. So deerlabcom slash nine fingers. And by doing following that specific URL, you can go to, um, sign up for a free 30 day trial period. And what this allows you to do is upload all of your trail camera photos into this, um, Deer Lab and it will show you patterns it uh, uploads all the weather data the time the moon phase the pressure all that stuff and it allows you to uh, pattern your deer and potentially forecast deer movement so there's that now what we've all been waiting for this product review podcast with Mike DiNapoli hopefully you guys enjoy this because I do and uh there's going to be a lot more of these coming down the loop, hopefully. So, enjoy. All right. On the phone with me right now is Mike DiNapoli. How are we doing today, Mike? Hey, I'm doing excellent. Hope you're doing well out there, too. I'm doing good, man. Uh, so, you are officially a gear nut, a bow hunting gear nut. Is that is that safe to say?
1: That is absolutely true. I uh, I, I <laughs> I enjoy playing with uh, you know all my archery equipment and and my tree stands and and basically trying anything new out there and trying to get things to work out the best I can.
0: And and just to let everybody know, this is a part. This, these are going to be some product review podcasts. Uh, this is going to be the first, hopefully, of many that uh, me and Mike are going to do. And the how we were introduced is you sent me an email, and we're talking pages of detailed notes about something um you know about these products that we're going to review not necessarily the ones just today but of you know further down the line we i plan on having mike on the show uh as a regular guest you know for every time he is able to uh review a product i'm going to get him on and we're going to talk about it because he's so detail oriented um and and i feel that you know Someone who's as detailed as you can provide really good information to the listeners of this podcast about um, the products, whether or not maybe you necess- you know you what what those details are, and whether or not maybe it would work for a a specific type of bow hunter, if that makes sense. So. Um, that's why Mike is on here today, but before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this particular um, uh, podcast, Mike, why don't you tell us where you're from and what do you do for a living? All right. I'm from uh, uh, Maryland, and
1: um, actually, I'm a, I'm an emergency physician by, by trade, and I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. Um, I've been hunting for about 20 or 25 years deer hunting and and also um um being involved in archery and and bow hunting and whatnot um so so i have a little little bit of a of a different background for that perspective um i kind of like looking at things in a lot of detail and uh trying to get things to to work out and trying to make things as efficient and best as as i possibly can um unfortunately i don't get to hunt as many days as I'd like to. So um, I, I like having everything set up and working as best I can when I can do that. Um, but at least my job gives me a little more leeway with being able to, to kind of purchase some different um, different types of either equipment or accessories and trying to get those things to work together the, the best that I can. So I, I hunt here in Maryland. I've got a piece of property that I, I hunt back uh, behind my house with some kids. And I have been out to Illinois before and uh, shot a really nice 165 point, uh, or excuse me, 165 inch, 13 point a few years ago with one of my friends, John. And um, I just love doing it. I any I got some spare time, I'm, I'm thinking about hunting or trying to figure out some way to either improve my gear or or just practice shooting and uh, working with my archery equipment.
0: Gotcha. So my buddy, one of my best friends, Ryan. Uh, he. Is very detail orient, oriented. He's also a, a nurse anesthetist, so he is the uh, you know he's basically an anesthesiologist of the of the nursing world, and um, and he's very detail oriented as well. Do you feel? Do you think that your because your job forces you to be so detail oriented that kind of flows over to your I guess your your hobby or your your passion as well
1: yeah i think it definitely does in fact you know some of the other guys that that i've read some stuff on uh the different podcasts and and on the internet i think um i don't remember his name but the guy that does the the diy podcast that you actually uh, interviewed before a lot of these guys have either engineering degrees or they're involved in some kind of it work or some of them involved in medicine and things i I definitely think there's a kind of a way of thinking about things that it's kind of like just a problem solving way of trying to look at things
0: Right. Okay. So, you know, you've been hunting for over 20 years now. Um, When did you start to get into the, you know, being a quote unquote gearhead? Probably from the very beginning.
1: Um, Before I bow hunted, I actually did a lot of uh, rifle hunting. And, um, you know, even from that time, I started um, hand loading and keeping detailed notes with uh, hand loading different things. And actually learning how to take my rifles apart and and do some kind of simple gunsmithing type things like bedding them and lapping lugs and lapping the barrel and you know none of the big uh, gunsmithing type work but but the things I could safely do at home and then I got into into bow hunting just as a way to basically kind of increase the season and get out there a little earlier and and once I did I mean you know kind of like you've said and I think you know many people that you've interviewed once once you get that bug it's it's different. I mean, long range shootings, it's pretty awesome in and of itself. I mean, to be able to hit things at hundreds of yards or even more out there, but, um, there's something about having to get so close to an animal to be able to hunt it that essentially they know that you're there and any little mistake you make, um, is going to kind of, um, you know, spoil it for you. And, um, you really have to get to know your, your, your prey a lot better. And, it's really a lot more exciting because I mean, you're essentially, I mean, there's times I'm sure you've had the same thing where you've had deer probably a few feet away from you. And even if it's a doe or a fawn, I mean, your your heart's pounding so hard that you can pretty much feel it in your chest. And uh,
0: it's,
1: it's exciting. It's a completely different world.
0: Right. Okay. So then, you know, are you? I guess the next thing that you know, it's important because if you're go, if a, a person is going to be doing a product review, um, we, I, I'd like to know what style of hunting uh, that uh, that you do. Now, today we're going to be talking about a Gearhead T24 bow and a tree saddle. Um, so those are the two products that we're going to be covering in detail today. Um, to to the listeners tell us about what kind of uh you know what kind of uh hunter you are you know are you the sit the field edges in a ladder stand or you are running gun um private public ground you know because that's going to help us get an idea of what you know how you use these products
1: right yeah so most i I guess I would be more typically like a running gun type type hunter um i mean i hunt private land mostly and um I do hunt some, some public land, um, you know, when, when I have the opportunity. Um, most of it is not sitting on field edges. When I when I used to gun hunt, I probably did a lot more of that because, you know, especially in the Georgia and the Carolinas, you could sit on a field edge and probably see for thousands of yards. Um, but now I pretty much get more in, into the woods. So um, on my piece of property, I plant some, some different food plots and I try to set up, trail cameras, get a sense of where the the deer are moving around in there. And then I try to follow those paths back into the woods and try to set up a position somewhere where I'm kind of between the food plots and where I think the bedding area is going to be. Um, Some different pinch points and things like that. So, So for me, one of the most important things is I want to be really light and mobile. I want to be able to carry everything with me. I want to be able to go in there. And when I find a spot that I want, I want to be able to set up at that point and not have to worry about trying to you know, get back the next day or whatever, where I'm leaving scent on the ground. And, um, you know, I, I stand a good chance of being busted because in the middle of the night, a you know, a buck may come by and smell my scent. And then the next day, you know, my, my chances are much less than they're going to be. So I try to have something that I can, you know, pretty mobile that I can set up quickly, move around easily, try to sit in different spots every time I go in the woods, if possible.
0: Okay. righty. All right. So that's kind of your style of hunting now let's talk about this gearhead bow now I'm going to keep my mouth shut on this and just let you do the talking because uh gearhead is a partner of this podcast and so I'm not going to voice you know I'll voice my opinion on a couple things but I'm I'm going to try to remain out of this to to keep it as unbiased as as humanly possible um so, the the gearhead bow that you're that uh, we're going to discuss is a T24. And for those of you out there who don't know anything about the gearhead bows, they are um, a brand of bow that are shorter in axle to axle and have a a dual riser system. So, the, my first question to you is, what did you find intriguing initially about uh, gear? gearheads bows and then the kind of a a question that goes along with this is not necessarily about gearhead but when you were looking for a new bow what specifically were you looking for yeah and and the biggest thing i was looking for was something that was going to be really
1: light and compact and uh you know of course it still has to be accurate to shoot. but um most of the bows out there nowadays most of the flagship bows by different companies Actually, they're very well made. I mean, they're going to shoot accurately. They're going to shoot fast. They're going to be quiet. There's going to be, you know, almost no uh, shock to them. Um, this was the bow that really stood out as being different because of its size, both its weight and its, and its length, uh, axle to axle. Um, and and for those that may have missed the, the first podcast that you and I did, originally I had actually bought a, a Halon 6. Um, that was back in around December of 2015, and um, my, my bow before that was actually a Bowtech, uh, Bowtech Blackhawk from 2003. So it, it had been a long time since I bought a bow. And I bought the Halon and absolutely loved it. Shot great, felt great. The only thing that, that kind of kept bothering me a little bit was it was, um, it was much heavier. It was probably about a pound and a half heavier than the Bowtech. And it was probably two inches longer, longer axle to axle. So when I was trying to shoot it, it, it just felt a little awkward it felt very stable in my hand great bow from that perspective but I just wasn't used to all that extra size and I think about that time you had interviewed I think Skip Peterson on your uh, on your podcast and I heard about the t24s and you know initially I had no intention on buying one I just kind of went out to see what it would look like and I went to a, a bow shop locally here and um tried one and I was so impressed um you know, when I when I shot it that day in the store, just because of its size and how good it felt to my hand, that I went home, thought about it for a day, and then called the guy up the next day and just ordered it over the phone. So essentially I ended up having two brand new bows for the first time in, you know, 15 years or something like that, just about.
0: Okay. So this is where I'm going to talk about my very first encounter with a gearhead bow, right? So I was at a trade show. I look, it was in a booth. And I looked at them and I think, man, that's a funny looking bow. Must be for kids. So I kept walking. I didn't even shoot it, right? That was Mm -hmm. my first encounter. I didn't even give it a chance. So, you know, after we got Gearhead on the podcast here and uh, they talked about, you know, their products and their product lineup and whatnot, um, you went to the store and, you know, you liked the way it felt. Elaborate a little bit about, you know... What you liked about this, and um, did you have any type of thoughts that came into your head? Like, okay, well, it is unique and it does shoot good, but you know, I have some concerns as well. Right? Yeah, it's a,
1: it, it was interesting because when I first saw it, um, they've got the the T eighteen, the T twenty, the two twenty four. Now they got some thirty inch models and and a um, crossbow also, but. At the time, they just had the eighteen, the twenty, and the twenty-four side by side. And when I walked in and I saw them, I, I kind of felt the same way that you did. I was, I, I, to me, it looked like a toy almost, but, but it was kind of cool in a way because it was very, um, um, very high tech looking. Um, but it still looked very small, and it, and it was kind of an interesting perspective. I didn't know quite what to make of it, especially with the T eighteen. It was, it was very small. Um, but since I had already read about it and, and heard about it, um, I, I knew that there was going to be you know, it was going to be a substantial bow that was going to work pretty well. And I picked it up and immediately it was very, very light, very well balanced. Uh, One thing I really liked about it is the way that the handles in the center of the bow, it felt very well balanced where it didn't tip forward. It didn't tip back. It just, it just felt like it was part of your arm. And actually when you draw the bow, to me, it even felt more so like that. So it almost feels like an extension of your arm, very well balanced. And it's, the best I could describe is like pointability. You take the bow and you just kind of put your arm out, you know, where you want to shoot. And it seems like the bow is just part of that. And it locks into that position when you draw it back. And it, and to me, it makes it very easy to aim and get on target and be um, very steady, much more so than you would think just due to its size. Um, so part of it was just the interesting kind of high tech look to it. It was definitely a, a different style than, you know, any of the Botex, the Hoyts, the Matthews, um, most of those were, you know, camouflaged and had a more traditional look. This was something much different, so uh, I can see where people look at it, and they they just get a different perspective. Um, Some people seem like they really like the look, some people maybe less so. I've read some comments online and things like that, but I think for everybody that's gone out and actually shot it, I think they've really, really been impressed.
0: So. Those were, that was your initial reaction um, to this. Now, before you, because you're not the kind of guy who shoots something and then instantly goes and buys it, right? You did some additional right. research. What what other additional research did you do before you purchased this?
1: Well, there, there wasn't a whole lot of information on the web. I mean, you could read a little bit of things here and there, but it was relatively new at that time because I, I bought mine in, I think it was March of 2016. Um, so there's a, a few videos. I, I looked at the GearHead site. I read some of the things that some customers had written, and um, I looked at some videos that Skip Peterson had put up there. And, and he was actually shooting the 18-inch bow and getting pretty decent groups out to like 60 yards. I think he put, he put um, like an elk target out at 60 yards and was pretty much keeping it in the vitals at 60 yards with an, with an 18-inch bow. And um, the the one thing about the 18-inch bows is and I don't remember offhand what their their maximum draw length is, but I, I want to say it might be 25 inches or something. It's pretty short, so when you shoot those, you either have to shoot it with an extended release or you have to shoot it with a with a long um, like like knot glue. And uh, neither of those really appealed to me. And and maybe it's there's still part of me that is hanging on to the more traditional thing. But I wanted to get a bow that. Would pretty much meet my draw length and and just have a standard size knock loop loop on it of anywhere from half an inch to three quarters of an inch, and the, the 24 fit that the best. It gave me really a lot less weight and and size than any of my current bows. In fact, even more so than my older Bowtech, um, but but still allowed me to shoot with a regular release and at uh, you know with a regular knock loop on it because they were able to go to uh, 29 inches at the time. And I think now they actually have a cam that goes to 30 inches.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, so what is your draw, your draw length? And then what do you typically pull for a, for a weight, a draw weight? So,
1: so typically I, I try to buy a 28 inch and uh, 70 pounds. The draw weight I can pull up, I can easily pull up to 75, so the weight's not that big a deal. I just like my bows all being somewhat around the same weight, but my draw length I find to be I'm more particular about. And, and I like 28 inches um, as as being their uh, their ATA length, um, not axle-axle, but uh, archery trade association length. Yeah. Um, and then I put a half-inch knock loop on it. So my overall length from... Uh, the full measurement to the end of my knock loop tends to be about 28 and a half inches. And I like being within, I know it sounds kind of picky, but when you get used to it after a while, I find like if I'm within a quarter of an inch of that, I feel really good. And if I'm outside a quarter, then I start trying to make a little bit of adjustments with the bow here and there.
0: Okay. So you're very detail oriented when it comes to your, your bow setup. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Let's see here. I'm looking at the uh, the GearHead specs right now. Um, when when you decided, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to purchase this bow, uh, before you purchased it, did you shoot a lot of different weights and arrows um, before you ended up going with the 20, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to purchase it? Or is it something that you, you just liked the feel of this bow and you were going to make it work um, through... I guess, you know make it work through testing on you know what what grain arrow you are going to shoot, what grain broadhead you were going to shoot.
1: Yeah, I, I guess the best way to answer that is over the years, I pretty much settled on uh, the you know the basic arrow weight and the draw lengths and draw weights and things that I like shooting. Um, so, so that was all relatively set. And then when I tried their bow, I can't remember if it was 28 or 27 inches. It was, it, it was um, about the right size to me, and it felt very good. It was 60 pounds was the one that I tried in the store. And y- you can get a pretty good feel just just from the, the way the cams pull over and, and the valley and the, the back wall, what a bow is going to feel like, even if it's a little lighter. Um, and when I pulled it back, it felt great in my hand. So I, I knew I could work with it, and you know I knew as long as I got it in my weight and my length that I could pretty much um, – get it set from there and, and get it set exactly the way that I wanted to do so.
0: Okay. And then did you go with the car, the carbon version or the aluminum version? I did.
1: I shot the aluminum version in the store and then I ordered the carbon version just because I, I kind of always wanted to see what they feel like and see what kind of difference in, in vibration they have and and weight and whatnot. I, I think it cut about half a pound off of it, but I have to admit both of them felt really good um you know you can't really tell a lot of difference in the weight when you pick up the bow and vibration wise there was almost none in, in either of them so they, they both felt very good very well balanced and uh very good from a uh, perspective of any type of vibration dampening
0: okay um and you decided to go with the carbon then right is that yeah. what you're saying okay all right so you, you got the carbon over the aluminum and i'm looking at the sheet that you have you sent me and it looks like the uh, yeah, it's three pounds is the total bow weight, right? Right. To me, that just seems extraordinary. How much, it, how much did your Halon weigh? My Halon, I think it was 4.5 pounds. Okay, so a pound and a half uh,
1: more. Right. But I'll tell you, there, there's two, two interesting things. One, and, and we can get into this more in a couple of seconds, the bow itself doesn't even feel as, as, you know, even though it says three pounds, it feels lighter than, um, than my Bowtech, which I want to say was like 2.8 pounds. And it, mm-hmm. to me, it seems like it has to do with the fact that the handles kind of place more in the center of the bow. It just, it just sits there in your hand and it's so well balanced that you don't feel the weight at all. The other thing that was a really big thing is that um, you, don't, you don't need stabilizers and everything on this bow. And, and there's different reasons for that. But I mean, the main reasons are, it has almost no shock, and it's so well-balanced that you don't have to off- offset it with a lot of stabilizers. Um, the other thing I found uh, uh, that really is, is pretty neat is, is this this bow will convert from left hand to right hand and, and back and forth just pretty much by changing the grip in the center. So yeah. you basically flip the bow upside down, and you just switch the handle. Well, because they do that, they actually have um, accessory mounting holes on both sides of the limb um, or on both sides of the – they basically have the risers, so two risers form the the center line of the bow. And on each side of the riser and on the top and on the bottom, they've got mounting holes for any kind of accessories from sights to um, quivers and anything else that you might want to add on there. So the interesting thing about this bow is you can actually put your quiver on the right side and you can put a sight on the left side and balance everything out. And you don't need to balance it out with another stabilizer or any additional weights. So pretty much you take this bow, you add a very lightweight you know, um, quiver to one side, a lightweight uh sight, and you add a, a rest on it, and you're done. I mean, I think my total weight for my bow with everything on it, including the arrows, is like 4.1 pounds or something like that.
0: And that's pretty uh, that's pretty lightweight,
1: pretty yeah, pretty bare bones. I want to say my halon was um, 6.5 or maybe
0: 6.7. Okay, all right, so you know you did a lot of, there's a lot of uh, content here uh, sitting in front of me. So why don't we just kind of jump into what you ultimately liked and dis and, and potentially disliked about this bow. Um, and then we can discuss the overall, um, you know, overall what you think of this bow. Okay. Sounds great.
1: So, you know, the the first things that that I like about it are just the things that are initially apparent when you look at it or you pick it up. I mean, it's, it's really light, it's really compact. Um, you know, the accuracy I found later, later on in um, the maneuverability, the, kind of the same thing. Um, so initially I picked it up, it was light, it was compact, it felt really good in my hands, so the draw cycle felt good, the valley felt good. It's got a very solid back wall because the stops on the cams basically come to rest against the limbs. So when you hit that back wall, it is like rock solid, which I personally like for my way of shooting. Um, some other things that I learned along the, the way, um, some of the things that, that we mentioned is it's it's very backpackable. So you can take this thing and basically um, the backpack that they send it with, it actually will fit in. I, I think you interviewed somebody else that had looked on them, and they mentioned that they had to take the sight off. But if you have a short sight that doesn't extend out in the front or if you put like one of the Copper John TSTs on there, which actually sits on the back side of the riser, it drops right into that pack with, with no problem. Um, I personally use one of the uh, Sitka toolboxes and I put my jacket inside and put a few things on the outside and I strap that right to the back and it fits perfectly. It doesn't stick up above the pack um, probably by more than an inch or something like that and there's a little boot that I put it in the bottom which maybe sticks down about two inches below the pack. So, it's pretty much married to your back. So, when you're walking through the woods, there's no stabilizer sticking out. There's nothing sticking out off the sides, the top or the bottom. So you can walk right through the woods without any problem of snagging this thing um, or or catching on anything. The other nice thing, too, is because everything's kind of compact into the center of the bow, you're not tending to break things. So if you walk through the woods and you do happen to turn and hit a tree, there's not an exposed sight with a bunch of pins sticking out off one side of it that's going to you know, catch a limb and like crack one of your sights. I mean, they're all protected because if you have that reverse sight like the copper john tst it's it's pretty much behind the riser and sits right above the rest so it's completely protected against the pack and then also inside the bow if you're carrying it up and down with a um, with a rope or something from the tree stand like i mentioned what i typically do is i i strap it to the back of the pack and i will climb up and down uh, my either my tree stand or my steps and i leave the backpack on i leave the bow on there and it's just a single trip i climb my way up get to the top, take my bow off, and take my backpack off and hang it up. So it makes it kind of very quick and quiet to, to do those type of things. Um, shooting out of a tree stand, it's, it's very nice. It's so small, and in addition, the axle axle sh- small, but then you don't have the stabilizers. Um, they're really You don't have to worry about banging it on either a rail if you've got that kind of stand or any of the other tree limbs it's uh, very easy to get around. In fact, most of the time you could probably actually shoot it directly from sitting in your tree stand. Um, and, and this year I actually got one of the uh, little blinds. and I took my son out with that. And even in a blind, it's very nice because you're not hitting the roof. You're not hitting the ground. You're not really having to worry about you know, backing away from the window uh, because you're trying to c- a clear a stabilizer. It fits really, really well. So I mean, this is a great bow for shooting. So if you're shooting out in the yard or shooting 3D or potentially even shooting targets, it works great. But for a hunting bow, it is phenomenal. I can't even imagine anything else being, um, being much, much else like this. Um, we talked a little bit about the different options for mounting uh, your accessories on it to keep it balanced out very well. I actually went ahead and mounted a small uh, uh, Picatinny uh, rail to mine. And I've got one of the Tacticams that I mount on that, and it mounts right in the center of the bow, right in front of where my hand would be, so typically kind of where a position of a stabilizer would be, and it's great for recording, and it stays nice and protected in there because it's it's hidden within that, that little frame of the bow, so it's, it's very good there. Right in um, between the
0: dual risers, right?
1: Exactly, yep. Okay. It only sticks out maybe an inch or something like that in front of it. And I've seen some people even mount some of the... Uh, the GoPros in there. I I didn't do that. Um, I've got the Tacticam because I the new one actually has a little zoom feature on it, so it's it's a really very good one, and it fits right in there without any problems whatsoever. Um, the other thing that that I had kind of uh, um, that they came out with this year is they've got some some different grip options. So the original grip, the standard grip, fits me very well. It's very comfortable. But this year they actually came out with a flat back target-type grip, so some people like that flat back, um, more like you'd see on any of the Hoyt competition bows, Um, but they've also got a carbon grip model, and the carbon grip is nice and light. I think it shaves off probably a couple ounces, but in addition to that, it's it's very warm if you're out there in cold weather, and then they have some slider grips, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit, which enable you to kind of adjust your draw length and, and even adjust for torque a little bit. If you want to move it either to the left or right, you can basically reposition your hand within the bow probably, um, either 16th of an inch or an eighth of an inch. There's two different options that you can kind of move to either side, the right or the left with that. So, uh, so I was initially impressed with the bow based on what it looked like and figuring it would fit into what I wanted to do. But then as I started shooting it, it just really, it fit everything. It fit the backpack. It was so easy to hunt with. Um, it, it was very compact, uh, and it shot very good. I mean, basically, You know, the speeds I'm getting are pretty close to what I'm getting with the Halon, and the Halon's got, you know, larger cams, so it's going to be a little more efficient and and a lot more weight, but I'm getting similar kinetic energy and similar uh, velocities to what I'm getting with those. Um, With a 405 grain arrow, with my Halon 6, uh, basically pretty close to the same settings, I'm shooting about 296 feet per second, and with this bow, I'm shooting 283. So, so very, very similar, especially considering the size of of the the bows. Um,
0: let's see. So, as as you, I mean, how long have you had this bow now? I've had it for just coming up on a year, and I I pretty much used it exclusively for
1: hunting last year.
0: Okay, so, you know, with a product like this being so new and did you have any kind of like second thoughts like, man, should I be taking this in the woods or, or, or not? No,
1: you know, it's, it's, it's funny cause it's a pretty expensive bow, but, um, I did not have any, it, it felt, you know, and it, it's, I'll tell you the interesting thing. I never really thought about it from that perspective. The bow feels very, very stable and protected and, um, and, and well-built. So I didn't feel like I needed to really protect it that much. I pretty much, you know, uh, put it on the back of the of my backpack, and went out and hunted with it. I didn't feel like it needed to be babied at all. In fact, I think the weight had something to do with that because if you have a heavy bow and you have a, a stabilizer and a sight sticking way off, off the front of it and you're you know putting on a bow rope and to- toting it up and down a the tree, there's always that fear that when it hits the ground, it might land on the sight or do something like that. I did not feel that at all with this bow. Um, it's very, very solidly built.
0: Okay. All right. And, uh, did you, did you end up killing any deer with that, th- that bow this year?
1: Yeah, actually, you know, one of the, the, the most interesting hunts I had, I, I was hunting with my son this year and we were, uh, hunting behind the house and I had a doe come out at about 50 yards and was kind of feeding down the edge of, um, some, some corn rows across a little ravine by our house. And, um, I kind of reached out, I had to shoot behind the tree a little bit. So I kind of leaned out and, uh, shot her right at, at 50 yards and, um, took her right down at, pretty much knocked her to the ground and then she ran off maybe 15 yards and my son helped me find it. And he was, uh, he was about as excited as he could possibly be. So it was awesome. definitely a good one.
0: Okay. So it says here on, on this, on these notes that you gave me, um, very little sound or vibration, uh, even without stabilizer. So the hand shock and, and the sound, which after talking to some engineers on previous podcasts, that means, uh, it's a very efficient bow. Um, you know, sound equals inefficiencies, uh, and right. uh, um, so you know, and I and I mentioned this in so, in some other podcasts where, like the 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 top, you know, the cream of the crop when it comes to bows, all fit into this. Um, I don't know. I guess the difference between the best of the you know the top five bows on the market, top ten bows, you know the flagship bows from all these companies are so close that it's hard to distinguish, you know what is actually the best from a hand shock or um, efficiency standpoint. Does did this bow for you? I mean, would you put it up against any other of the you know the the big brand bows on on the market?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I I shot the um, you know the the PSC Carbon Air. Um, I've got the Halon Six, and I've been shooting them both side by side for a year now. Um, I shot the Hoyt Carbon Defiant Turbo in in the Bowtech, the one last year, which was the BT, uh, BTX twenty eight, and all of them were great bows. I mean, they were all very quiet. There was very little hand shock, and this shot right in there with them. Um, the interesting thing is. This shot right in there with them, and most of those that I shot actually had a stabilizer of some sort on it, and this one I shot with no stabilizer whatsoever. So to me, that really says something. I mean, it's really, really shooting good.
0: Okay. What else about this bow? So, um, you
1: know, one thing, because I mentioned I shot that, that doe at about 50 yards. Um, yeah. I've been shooting it pretty much side-by-side side next to my, uh, my Halon 6 for the whole year, and both of them shoot about the same. I mean, you know, the Halon has a lot more mass, so it, it has a lot more weight to it, but it's, it's interesting, and maybe it just has to, to do with the geometry of the bow, but when you lock this bow and you draw it back, it feels just as stable, despite not having all that extra mass. And you also don't get tired if you're shooting for a long time holding all that that weight out. So accuracy-wise, either one of them, I was shooting probably about half an inch um, for each 10 yard increment. So at 20 yards, I was shooting about an inch group, and out of 80 yards, I was probably shooting about four inch group. So um, you know, pretty decent between um, both of those uh, side by side. So despite the shorter length, because people worry about the ax- shorter axle to axle, they worry about the string angle, they worry about the mass weight of the bow. Um, me personally, and I don't get to shoot as much as I'd like to, I really did not find any significant difference, um, especially not any kind of, you know, meaningful hunting ranges and shooting at targets in my backyard and, uh, deer targets in 3d and things like that. So it, it shoots fantastically well from that perspective. Um, you know, some, some interesting things, um, you know, that, that I think might not be apparent things that I kind of learned, um, down the road after I had it. Uh, which didn't affect me more, but would be interesting things that I think, you know, people that uh, listen to your podcast would be interested in knowing about is this bow does not, it doesn't have an adjustment range, at least at this time, like the um, more traditional bows. So let's say you buy a Matthews or or a Hoyt, you buy a 70 pound bow, you can adjust by, by, you know, cranking out the limb bolts, you can usually adjust them from 60 pounds up to 70 pounds this bow, you pretty much, you, you buy it at 70 pounds, it's a 70-pound bow. Um, it can be adjusted, but it's got to be adjusted by twisting the cables and the, and the strings to try to change those adjustments. And I didn't have a, a difficulty doing that. I could probably bring it, I got a 70-pound bow, I could go from 65 up to about 75 pounds. But you have to have a bow press to be able to do that. So that's just something that, um, you know, your, your listeners would probably be interested in, in knowing about. I don't think it's a big deal because you bring it into the shop, you have them adjust it to where you want it, and then you're set, and you don't have to worry about those settings ever changing uh, unless the strings or the cables change a lot. Um, But but that was something that was just a little interesting because I was trying to adjust both this bow and my Halon to to feel exactly the same, so I was trying to get the the draw length and the weight to be the same. The other thing I noticed was that with the T24, the... um, the cams come, so you have to change the cams if you want to change the draw length, and they come in even sizes, so 28, 29, 30, and et cetera. And originally, my 28-inch cams um, were, uh, the draw length was 27 and a half inches. So I went ahead and bought a 29-inch set of cams, and that was 28 and a, and a half inches. So I kind of wanted to be right in the middle of that, and I adjusted the, the length by changing the, by twisting the cables and the string, and was able to get pretty close, but it wasn't exactly uh, what I wanted and I actually ended up having a, a set of custom strings made, which were uh, the string itself was half an inch longer, and that gave me exactly twenty eight inches so that's what I hunted with and shot last year and shot phenomenally this year they've got the the slider grip, which I had mentioned before, and with that particular grip, you can actually adjust it just in the handle itself, so you don't have to go through you know any difficulty of trying to get a, an additional string or anything made for the bow, you can go ahead and just get whatever you want that's close to where you want to be, and then you can adjust it in eighth-inch movements, half an inch forward or half an inch back, just to get that uh, length exactly how you how you want it to get.
0: So, so initially, instead of having to adjust, you know, the cams or the string, all you're doing is, you know, sliding that handle forward or back. Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Um, you know, we've talked, uh, you know, not necessarily to end on a bad note, but was there anything else that, uh, would be a con or something that you may, you thought you didn't like about it? Um, you know, there, for me, there are absolutely no, no
1: cons at all. I mean, I'm just mentioning these things because your your listeners may have different feelings or abilities. Right. I mean, for me, it's easy because I've got a bow press and everything I need in, in, in the house, um, but these are just some considerations. Um, I have heard other people talk about the the string angle because it's so short axle axle Your string angle is going to be a little bit uh, greater with these, and what that does is it's, it's going to move the peep sight a little farther forward, and it's going to make it more difficult to get the string uh, a string to touch your nose when you get ready to, to shoot. Now, I've never really shot with the string on my nose, so for me, it, it doesn't matter. I I always um, basically bring my hand back and put my knuckles in the exact same spot. And then really, if you're looking through the peep sight and you're lining up your pins, you don't really need the, the nose anyway. The nose is just an extra point um, just to make sure that you're in the right spot. Um, for me, I actually find if I try to do that, it tends to throw me off a little bit. So for me, that's no problem at all. But it's just some some interesting comments that people have made. Um, you know, uh, Skip Peterson, like we mentioned, he was shooting the 18-inch bow, so his peep sight's way out in front of him. And, and one comment that he made, which is interesting, is it's more like shooting a rifle. That if that if that peep sight's so far out in front of you, you can actually focus on it in the pin a little bit better, and you can line it up a little a little bit better. So you know, just different different ways of looking at things. And right. I think the bottom line is, I think people are going to get used to whatever they're going to get used to. And you may pick it up and it may feel a little funny to you, but probably after shooting it for a month, you'd be right back to, to where you need to be. The only other thing which doesn't pertain to, to or the T 24 is just still on looking at the, at their website. They say that both in Montana and South Dakota, the T 18 and the T 24s are still not legal because from the very top of the axle to the very bottom of the bottom axle, it's got to be at least 28 inches. And, um, the T 24, the T 30, the M 30, and all the other ones are, are legal, but the T 18 and T 20 are not yet.
0: Gotcha. All right. So yeah, that's definitely something to think about if you live in South Dakota or Montana, or you're going to hunt in those States uh, as a non-resident. Um, let's see. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've heard, you know, someone say about their bows is, oh, the, the peep site, you're, the, because the angle of the string is different, because it's a shorter axle to axle, um, the peep sight will have to be adjusted. Now, did you have to do any uh, additional uh, customization for your peep sight to work on your T24? Uh, with you know, to get that full circle, as opposed from it being because it's at more of an angle, um, you know, you're not going to get the full range of view. If that makes sense.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I really didn't. They've got, um, you know, they make peeps now, and I, I think the, the break points here are 38 or 40 inches. If it's over that, there's a certain angle on the peep site. If it's less than that, there's a, there's a little bit steeper angle. Um, and and I, I actually, I think I tried three or four different peep sites, and all of them worked. I didn't have any problem. Um, the one thing to keep in mind is depending on how you shoot and where you're going to place your front scope, if you want your peep sight to completely encircle the um, the entire scope housing, you're going to need a, a little bit larger one. So mine was originally set up that way, and, and I was shooting a quarter-inch peep sight, so it was a little bit larger than I was typically used to. And that would perfectly center that TST sight in there, and then I would just go ahead and um, once I centered that, I would move the, the pin to where I wanted. And I, I've actually started shooting the way that I used to shoot um, – several years ago and before that where I'm actually going back to a smaller site and I'm basically going to put the pin in the middle of the peep site instead of the housing being surrounded by the peep site. I, to me, I just find that makes it a little quicker because all you're doing then is you're basically looking through the peep site. You're looking at the pin and you're looking right at your target. Whereas the other way you're kind of trying to take that peep site and you're trying to circle the housing and then you're trying to adjust all of that together to get that pin on what you need. And to me, that's just, it's not as intuitive, so it slows me down. It's an extra step and I find I I tend to be a little more, uh, a little less accurate with that.
0: All right. Yeah. That makes, uh, makes good sense. So, you know, we've talked a lot about this bow now overall. um, It sounds to me like you're happy with it, but is this something that you would recommend to uh, other archers and bow hunters specifically?
1: i i absolutely would i mean you know like i said the the cost is a little expensive it's probably equal with equal or a little little more than probably most of the top line bows but i can pretty much you know tell your readers that uh, or your listeners that anybody that got this i think they would be really really impressed and really happy and i think if they're in the market to, to get a new bow they owe it themselves to really try to find a place that has it and to try to to test one um it's just amazing that such a small light bow is going to shoot as well as it does and feel as good in, in the hand. And like I mentioned, anybody that does any kind of uh, traveling. So if you're, you know, even, even out here in the East where I don't have to go very far to, to my tree stands, typically um, it's so nice to be able to just strap this on your back. Your hands are free. You walk to your tree, you climb your tree steps and you're up in your tree. Um, but if I was hunting out West, let's say, if I was hiking up and down mountains or sheep hunting or anything like that, I mean, you know, they're, they're measuring everything in ounces, and here you're basically taking a bow that's a pound and a half or two pounds less than a comparable bow and shoots just as good. Um, two pounds is a is a world of difference for a sheep hunter, and two pounds is probably even a pretty big deal for somebody that's going mule deer hunting or elk hunting or something where they're going to be really walking a lot. I mean, this is just a, a fantastic uh, archery and, and bow hunting bow.
0: Okay. All righty. So there's that. Um just, just curious. What, air, what's your arrow setup, um, broadhead and arrow that you're that you shoot on this with this bow?
1: So, so this year the one I, the the arrow that I shot the doe with was a it was a one of the Victory R I P XVs, which is their light ones, okay. and I shortened it up to 25 inches and uh, was shooting. It was a 400 spine arrow. Um, the total weight was 307, and I was shooting one of the Swacker broadheads on it. And I was shooting actually 322 feet per second, which was, I mean, really flat. Um, right. In fact, it was so flat that I was having a hard time getting the, the pins close enough together on the on the site to really be able to to, to get differences, especially at the closer ranges.
0: Right.
1: And I think what I'm going to do, because I, I had some different arrows that, that would fit it. I tried the uh, Gold Tip Pro Hunters 5575s and the Victory VAP 300s with it and they all shot good so the spline it seemed to be very tolerant of different spline sizes which I was pretty impressed with um but I think I'm going to I think my goal is going to probably be to get somewhere around a 400 grain arrow probably about 390 to 400 and um I kind of like those new uh the new rage um are they trip trip pans or something this year the new ones that they yeah, came out with, those look pretty neat yeah okay so
0: hey uh, and just write out you know a schwacker you said you used a schwacker right yeah how did you like that broadhead i i've i've seen them, but i haven't heard anybody talk about them before i i liked
1: it i mean you know i've, I've gotten great aero flight with them. so you know i, I pretty much sight my bosun with field points out to about 80, 80 yards or so and then i take my my practice broadheads and um shoot them and i was hitting right in the same group so from an accuracy point of view they they seem to work really well um, when I shot this doe, obviously it worked really well too. And, you know, the, I think the theory certainly sounds good is that it, it, it goes in and then after it goes in, um, they open up inside the skin. So you're going to tend to, to, uh, damage those blades less and, and probably dull them less and it'll be fresh to go through. I, I think the big issue that I learned this year is I think that really kinetic energy is not as important for bow hunting. I really think it's momentum. I think when you're talking kinetic energy, you're talking about, you know, more like rifle cartridges. You're talking about like a weatherbee cartridge or something shooting, you know, thirty five hundred feet per second, you know, you'll get a lot of kinetic energy dumping fast at that kind of velocity. But you're talking about a different thing when you're talking about bow hunting for deer. You're you're not you're not shocking the animal. So I think kinetic energy is not as important. It might be a way to compare different arrows and different setups. But really, I think it's momentum, and that's why I'm going to go to the 400 grain. I think that's going to make a difference for me.
0: So I guess r- relatable, you know, what is the difference between momentum and kinetic energy? Because don't they play a role with each other? They, they do, but they stress different things. So, so
1: kinetic energy um, really stresses velocity over anything else. And uh, it, it's basically mass times velocity squared, so you're squaring the velocity Um, whereas momentum has more of a direct relationship on the velocity. It's not squared or anything. So to me, it's, it's more like a carrying weight. So when, when you talk about, um, velocity and and like I said, I've got a a lot of, I, I used to shoot a lot and do a lot of hunting with high caliber and high speed, uh, rifles and things. And what I would notice is if you shot something with 308, it would certainly, you know, die. But if you shot it with something like a 270 Weatherby where you're shooting 3,500 feet per second, it was almost like lightning hit it. And the reason why is you're dumping all that energy at one time in like a split second. And usually that bullet's fragmenting. Um, and a lot of times, unless you use a really heavy duty bullet, you won't even get passed through. It'll just kind of explode inside it. And I think that shock is what dropped them and they would drop literally on the spot. Um, but when you, when you're talking about an arrow, you're never going to approach, that's not what the arrows are designed for. Really, arrows kill by, by bleeding and bleeding alone. That's the only thing that they do. You're not going to get enough shock power to, to knock anything over. So you want to be able to carry all the way through that animal and um, penetrate as far as you can and hopefully penetrate out the other side so you're getting a blood trail on both sides. And the only way to do that is really carrying force. And that's kind of the equivalent of throwing a like a, like a, plastic golf ball versus throwing a, a brick at something you know the brick's going to really hit it and it's going to keep going because it's not going to want to slow down and that's I think what you need and and you know the more I the more I've hunted and the more I've kind of looked into these things and tried to figure out how it all works I really do think that um, momentum is really the biggest the biggest part in um, in bow hunting because you you've got to get the penetration if you're not getting the penetration as far as you can you're just not going to you're not going to cut as many organs or as many blood vessels and allow that bleeding to occur.
0: Gotcha. That's a unique way to look at things. All right. So now let's talk about this tree saddle. Um, And it's funny that we're doing this now because I just had a guy review a tree saddle um, in the, one of the last podcasts that we've done and he was a huge fan of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's, talk about this tree saddle, what, what is, what intrigues you about the tree saddle? So I,
1: you know, initially when we were talking, I mentioned that, that kind of what I like doing is I, I like running and gunning. So I like having everything with me. I don't like Um, having to go out and scout for things and then bring things back later on. I I just think you're, you're asking for trouble. There's, there's more footsteps through the wood. There's more noise, there's Mm -hmm. more scent laid down. So, so the more you can do it in one shot, the better, especially if you're going to an area that you don't really know as much where you really want to get back and hunt and then come back out and not, not try to go back in on different days. So, so part of that was really had to do more with um, how much weight could I cut out of the system and, and you know, What's the quickest and quietest way to get up a tree? And, um, you know, then once you get up there, what's what's comfortable? Because I want to be able to sit up there all day. And what's going to allow you to be able to swing around the tree or look around the tree and get shots from, from every different direction? And this really worked out pretty well. I, I originally been using a, uh, a one of the lone wolf assaults. And I still have those. I, th- I think I've got three of those or something like that. And um, And then I've got the lone wolf sticks that I use with that. And then this year I started using... Um, something called the arrow hunter which is a saddle which is developed by new tribe and it's specifically a hunting related saddle so it's made particularly for hunters so it's it's made to really sit in all day long it's a little more adjustable than some of the other like arborist uh, style tree saddles and it comes in camo and the color on it is more or less hunter or camo friendly so some of the other ones you'll see Maybe it's black and they've got, you know, some bright orange or bright yellow uh, ropes and things. And that's also when you're up in the tree and you're, you're trying to cut branches or something like that, you're not going to accidentally cut the strap. But, again, those things are going to stand out a little bit, whether it's to a deer or to another hunter or something if you're out in the woods. And this is actually made more specifically for hunters. So it's more camouflage and it's a lot more comfortable and adjustable once you get up there.
0: Okay. So... What was your very first experience like using a a saddle? Um so I got it
1: I think I got it early last season and I played with it a couple of times and it feels a little strange at first. Um you know you're you're climbing the sticks like you normally would and then essentially what you do is is after you get up to your spot you're putting a rope around the tree you're attaching it to what's called a bridge, which kind of um, attaches close to both your hips and and around your thighs and kind of comes out in front of you. And after you do that, you kind of lean back away from the tree into it. And it was an interesting experience. I mean, not necessarily a bad one, but but it did take a little faith in your equipment. And um, I did it very slowly and very cautiously. I kind of held onto the rope in front of me and lowered myself out in that sitting position. But once I got there, it was... Really super comfortable because essentially you're you're somewhat sitting. Um, you can either go from completely sitting to almost standing, and I would put my feet on the on the pegs of the top of my tree step and just lean away from the tree, and it felt just like you're sitting in a swing when you were, you know, a, a kid swinging in a little swing set basically at the park or something like that. It was really really comfortable.
0: Okay, so you know what is what was your setup? What were you using for sticks? to climb or screw in steps or what, what were you using to, to gain your, uh, altitude?
1: Gotcha. So I was basically, um, using, uh, lone wolf steps to, to climb up to, uh, the, the position where I would attach myself. And, um, and I think we're going to do a a separate podcast at a different time, but I actually modified my, my lone wolf step sticks by putting an extra, some people call them aiders, but it's basically like a little strap, which comes off the bottom step. And it attaches kind of right around the, the regular, the main pipe and stops by the bottom step and it sticks down. And the distance between the steps on the Lone Wolfs are 15 inches. So I made this 15 inches and it's, uh, it's uh, like a braided, um, um, like a webbing type material. Yep. And on the bottom of that, I basically took a piece of basically uh, rubber tubing that you'd use um, for like, uh, like a gas line or something like that in a, tr- in a truck. And it fits through that, and that basically just gives it that extra bit of stiffness. So when you try to either climb up or down, you've got something you can step into, and you're not trying to fish for a closed loop or something. And that works really well. It hangs down about 15 inches, and then my step's about um, 7 or 8 inches wide, and it makes it very easy to get up and down. And the nice thing about that is that adds maybe 2 ounces to each step, and uh, you get an extra foot out of each one. So, you know, if you typically use... uh, five five of the sticks you can actually get away with using four sticks and go to you know roughly the same height and you probably cut about two and a half pounds or something out of your setup
0: okay all right so once you get you know once you've climbed to the top do you have to are you connected to the tree the entire time that you are are climbing or even once you get to the top, is there a point where you have to disconnect and then reconnect to, um, you know, to get situated? Gotcha.
1: Um, you're pretty much connected the entire time, and in, in fact, I think it's probably safer than uh, most tree stands. Um, the how I how I basically do this is, I go ahead and slide this thing on either at my truck or at the base of the tree. You can do it either way. It's it's pretty minimal, so it's actually very comfortable to, to walk in with. So. Um, you know, if you didn't have a very far way to walk, you could just wear it. If you had to walk a long way, you could just dump it in the back of a, of a backpack and carry it. But essentially you, you, put it on, um, and then you go ahead and you set up your first two sticks from ground level and get that set. And then there's a regular, um, safety line that goes around the tree, just like you would do if you were climbing and you climb the tree, you lean back against the saddle and that, in that safety rope, and you put your third step on, you climb up to the top of the third step you do the same thing. You're, you're basically, you just slide that safety line up just like you normally would. You put your fourth step on and you, you continue to go as high as you need to. And then when you finally get to the top and you climb to the top of that fourth step, then there's a separate line that you put around the tree. And then you connect that right onto your, um, that bridge that comes in between. And then you can go ahead and disconnect the, the safety line if you, if you want to. Um, and that's basically how, how it works. So it's, the basically the same thing as if you would, if you were climbing a regular tree stand, you would put your safety line around, you'd climb up to the top. When you got to the top, you'd switch the safety line for, you know, your permanent line or whatever you had set up at the top of your tree. So the nice thing about this also is in addition to you're you're basically saving all the weight that you would with carrying a tree stand in and you're just wearing this, which is lighter and more compact with a regular tree stand, you still have to carry on a, harness, a safety harness and a safety line and whatnot. And that's all kind of part of this whole thing. So there's you don't have all those additional things, and uh, that you need to bring
0: with you. Gotcha. So, you know, I can I can see how sitting in a swing would would at first be comfortable. Now, what about you're kind of leaning against the tree, right your Your platform is the the stick, the last stick, or the last uh, however you're climbing up the tree. That's what you're standing on the uh, majority of the time, correct? Right. So there, there's a couple of things you do. You can, you can stand on that.
1: And there's some different ways in doing that. Um, the, the easiest way that I've done is I just stand right on the very top of my stick. But I've also got some modified little steps that you bring bring in on a separate rope and you can put around the tree. Um, I've been experimenting. I just got a, a set of those wild edge step ladders. And uh, I'm, I'm looking into those. Those look like they'd be, probably be perfect for doing that. And the other thing you do is, depending on what you want to do, you can like I said, you can either completely sit or you can almost stand. So you could actually stand on not the very top step, but the one underneath it, so about 15 inches below there and kind of stretch your legs. You can also, I usually wear some very small little knee knee pads like you'd use if you were doing um, like floor work in a house or something like that, if you were doing tiling or something like that. And a lot of times I just brace my knees right up against a tree and just kind of sit that way. Um, I mean, it's, it's so comfortable. You could even fall asleep if you wanted to. I mean, it's, completely safe. You're not going to fall out and it's, it's very comfortable to sit in and you can get all these different positions. Um, you can slide around to each side of the tree just by kind of leaning and pushing away from your sticks in in either of the two directions. And it took a little getting used to as far as having to shoot with, uh, with that, because you're not, you're not standing like you're standing on ground. So you have to make sure your feet are on something a little stable. So when you lean out and you shoot in one direction or the other, you're, you're not going to slip. If your feet slip, obviously you're going to lose your position, your, your sight picture at that point. But the other good thing about it is you're actually typically shooting from behind the tree. So you're, you're somewhat hidden from the direction that the deer is going to be coming from, or at least that you think they're going to be coming from.
0: Gotcha. What about back support? I mean, is there back support built into this saddle that you tested? Cause I have a bad lower back Uh, through Mm -hmm. years of abuse, and uh, I have bad knees through years Mm -hmm. of of abuse. So um, for me, it's hard to stand up for long periods of time and it's hard for me to sit down for long periods of time so i have i'm like continuously adjusting in the tree stand whether it's you know standing up for a little bit then sitting down for a little bit then standing up for a little bit then sit you know back and forth Mm -hmm. until until the hunt's over is this something that remains comfortable over long periods of time so I, you know, I, I tend to do the same thing. So if
1: I'm hunting in a regular stand, I do the same thing. I stand up for time and I sit down for time, and and you know, I I kind of may lean one way or another way. With this thing, it's it's kind of the same thing. I I, I definitely don't think it's any worse than a regular stand. Um, you know what what I'll do is I'll do I'll either have my knees against the tree where I'll be leaning against the tree that way, and then I'll stand up for a while with my le my knees more or less straight. Um, and, and in that case, you're kind of, you can kind of picture if you stand up straight with your legs, your body's going to lean away from the tree and maybe at like 35 or 40 degrees. And then if you kneel down and you get down lower, your, your body's going to come more up against like the trunk of the tree, but you just kind of change those positions a little bit to get comfortable. The, um, they do offer a, like a, like a back support, which is a little like padded belt, which, which goes up a little higher and you can put that anywhere from your, your waist all the way up to your upper back if you wanted to. And, and I got that and I tried it. Um, I, I mean, it works. I, I'm really not that uncomfortable even without it, to be honest with you. So a lot of times I don't bring it cause it, it's just something else to get in the way. But, um, but it does work and it's very comfortable. If you use it, you can literally sit back. It's almost like sitting in a, in a like lazy boy or something like that. So in fact, it would, it would kind of be what I felt like is I almost felt like it was, um, like one of those seats or benches that you have, that's basically, it's almost like an L shape, but you hang it from a tree and you're hanging it from uh, some change from a tree and you sit in it where your, you know, your, your legs may come up a little bit more in the front and you're leaning out against the back of that, but you got support against your back and across the back of your legs. That's kind of what I felt like when I was in it and I was using that, that back uh, support. I mean, it was very comfortable. I felt like I had complete support in my back, never felt like I was going to fall out or anything like that. It's, it's definitely pretty nice.
0: Okay. So, you know, again going back to the last podcast where we talked about a tree saddle, I just envision a deer coming, you know, I'm I'm a right-handed, so I'm holding my bow with my left hand, right? I'm mm-hmm. a, a deer is coming either straight at me or straight behind me, right? Mm-hmm. Some some mm-hmm. way. And, you know, you can't always plan for what direction these deer are going to be coming from, but I just imagine all right, a deer is, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing towards my left, so I'm not going to have to do hardly any movement, but the deer comes to my right. So bringing the bow back in, shifting it around the tree, and then trying to pull back and, you know, adjusting in the tree. How hard is it to adjust if a deer would come from, uh, you know, from your dominant side? So you you would need to come. So I basically hang my my bow on the left side of
1: the tree, which is probably what what you would do also if you were facing the tree. And um, it, there does take a little bit of maneuvering. It's not it's not that bad as long as the tree as long as the deer is coming from somewhere. If you're basically if you're facing the tree, if it's coming from your left, not a problem at all. Either from 90 degrees out to directly behind the tree, not a problem. If it's coming from the right side of the tree when you're facing the tree it's not bad to shoot directly behind the tree, but as you start increasing that angle, it gets harder and harder because then you're having to kind of twist your your body a little bit. You're trying to get a different angle. Um, How some of these people have done that is, is they put a ring of steps all the way around the tree and that enables them, I mean, they can literally like almost walk right around the tree and that's not a problem. I'm trying to eliminate some of that because the more that you bring in, the more noise it is to set up and the more bulk it is to, to set up. So I'm, I'm still kind of working through all that right now. Um, the, the other one that's difficult is if it's coming from directly behind, you know, if a deer comes from directly behind you, that's yeah. difficult because you're going to have to basically slide around the side of the tree. Um, on that particular case, you would want to slide around to the right side of the tree, and then mm-hmm. you're kind of leaning out. and You're using your legs a lot to, to do that. So, you know, without a doubt, you, you'd want to plan where you think they're going to come from a little more carefully than you would with a tree stand because with a tree stand... You could basically, you know, just spin three 360 in any direction that you want. Um, this, you actually have to kind of plan what you're doing a little bit more. But what I found is the first couple of times I did it, it was, it felt a little unusual and it was hard to get used to. But the more I did it throughout the season, I found it actually pretty easy and there wasn't really much of a problem at all.
0: Did you kill a deer out of this system?
1: No, I did not. The, the one I okay. shot this year with my son, I shot out of a regular tree stand.
0: Okay. All right. But you did hunt with this system this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and
1: and I would practice, I mean, when a deer would come in, if it was a doe or something like that, I would practice like grabbing my bow and drawing back and just all that to see how it would work. And I, I really didn't have much of a problem unless it came from, like I said, those strange angles, which would be a very hard right or kind of more from behind you.
0: Gotcha. So other than, other than the overall weight for a running gun setup, you know, I take it this is way lighter than a, uh, a tree stand itself. What are some of the other positives pros of uh, a saddle so I, I think it's it was much quieter and much um, easier
1: and faster to get set up in so basically what you do you know it, depending on what you're doing if you're if you've got a tree stand already set up then the easiest thing is just to go climb the tree steps get in the tree stand and you're done but if you're actually bringing a tree a tree stand up with you that's a lot more difficult because what I found at least the way I always do it is I would put the tree stand on my back. I'd try to, you know, hang the the sticks and things from, you know, either a belt or something like that. And as I would go up, I would continue to put these things up. And then when you finally get to the top, if you've got the the stand on your back, then you're trying to basically, you know, lever it into position, put the first strap on, um, pull, the, pull the, um, uh, the main platform down, get the second one cinched down tight. Or you'd have to go back down and pick up the, the stand or have it on a rope or something where you'd bring it up. And it was a lot of work either climbing with it or having to go down and get it back up. And it was always a lot of work trying to kind of lever it into position. The nice thing about this is once you get into position with the saddle on, all you have to do is you just take one or two wraps of the rope around the tree, depending on how big the tree is. And then you snap onto your bridge and you're done. Like it's that fast. So you can imagine how quiet that is and, and how easy it is. I mean, you're not really struggling to get that stuff up. Um, and then, like I said, the, the noise is just a big factor, too, because no matter how hard you you try to be quiet, even with something like a lone wolf, which is about as quiet as they get, there's still going to be a little bit of noise as you're kind of adjusting that and trying to settle in against the bark. Um, whereas this thing, I mean, it's basically rope against the bark, and that's it. So there's really – there's no noise. There's no setup time, um, and it's – you know, you're saving probably somewhere around six pounds or something like that, I think, from the the – the tree saddle itself versus a regular stand
0: okay now i don't know why you just mentioned uh, trees with a with a tree stand you can pretty much hunt any type of tree but mm-hmm. if you're in a uh a saddle And there's some bark on some of these trees that are louder than others. Uh, A birch tree, for example, that has the, you know, the, the bark that kind of peels off and is real Mm -hmm. flaky. Uh, Have you ever hunted in any of those trees or do you try to avoid that basically because of the, of the sound?
1: Uh, You know, I, I can't say I've hunted in a, in a birch tree. I don't really let the type of tree influence me that much though, to be honest with you um i mean i've climbed we've got red oaks white oaks black oaks um we've got some ashes uh some tulip poplars some sycamores um all that stuff i climb and i don't really think about it a a whole lot if i were to get up into in a tree and there was something that was loud i would probably try to either quickly remove it or just try to stay away from it um you know it, it could be that there's some trees out there that might make more noise the one thing I did do is I got a pair of, um, like I said, some, uh, some of those knee, knee pad type things. And the ones that I got actually have a little bit of like suede leather on the outside. And that's pretty quiet up against the bark. So, you know, if it was some kind of really rough, tree, rough bark where it would be coming off and peeling off, that might be a little bit different. But against anything with a more stable bark, these things are super quiet and really comfortable.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, so, we've, we've disc- are there any more positives uh, with a saddle that you want to run over? I mean, I, I think the only other positive
1: is, you know, like I said, if you're going to wear it in, it really frees up your arms quite a bit to do whatever else you're going to want to do. And what I often do is I've got like a little pouch on the side of my saddle that I put on there and I'll put my, uh, you know, a a little folding saw and I'll put a a pair of clippers in there and, um, you know, my, my bow hanger. So it's, it's all nice and easy to get to. And then I wear my pack with my bow on the, on the back, which is, which is not a problem. So it's really easy to get in from that perspective. It's nice and compact, nice and light. You just kind of, you know, get it and go. And the other thing too, is it's really quiet walking in. There's, there's no sound of any metal on metal that, you know, the lone wolves are really good with that. I don't think I ever have any of that, but other tree stands make some noise, but this is really, really quiet.
0: Okay. Uh, Any particular cons? That, uh, so, a guy needs to, you know, be aware of before he says, Hey, I want to be a saddle, a tree saddle hunter.
1: Right. Yeah. The only cons I can, I can think about is, you know, kind of like we mentioned, you, you, you definitely have to get used to it. And you want to practice ahead of time. You don't want to just grab it and decide you're going to go out like the next morning or something. Um, cause it does take a little getting used to, um, once you do, it's really quick and easy to put up, but you also have to think about what you're going to do when you get up there as far as positioning and direction you're going to shoot. So Um, at my house, what I do is I put out a couple of targets and I just practice shooting from different directions and I try to figure out ahead of time what areas might be problems so I can kind of avoid that. Um, so that's something to think about. Whoever were were to try that would definitely want to figure out what they're going to do. Are they going to have some kind of platform, maybe a couple of steps on the top, or maybe something that attaches to whatever their very top step is to give them a little bit of an extra support area? Um... I've seen some people online, that even make like a little, uh, it, it almost looks like they took the seat off one of the lone wolf stands and they built a little bracket and that becomes like a stand that they basically can can even stand on, which looks like it worked out pretty well. Um, the only other con that I found with it is if you wear heavy jackets, there's there's two ways that you can kind of think of trying to put the saddle on top of a heavy jacket. So if you put the jacket on top of the heavy jacket, you know, if it was like a parka, so kind of down to your mid thighs or something like that. Um, what I found is, is the saddle would try to slide off. So in other words, I kind of lost my waist because the jacket was too thick and as I was climbing up, it kept fe- feeling like it would want to fall off. So what I did is I just put a suspender like thing on it just to hold it on. Um, and that worked out fine. The, the other way is you put the saddle on underneath and then you put your parka on top. And that worked out fine. The only problem I had is that it kind of covered your, your rear pretty well, but it had to come across this, the bridge in front of you and then go down into your, into your lap. So it would leave the front of your legs a little bit cold because it couldn't really cover it. It had to come across the, the saddle on both, both front sides like that. Um, the other way to do it is you could actually bring the bridge close together in the center. And if you had a jacket that had buttons, you could button the bottom button and button the top ones and leave one or two buttons open in the middle and you know that had its pluses and minuses too then the air would kind of get in that way so um a heavy jacket just made it a little more difficult and it was just something that you'd have to kind of figure out which way you wanted to to go with that
0: perfect perfect so overall is this something that you would recommend for let's say a hardcore running gunner um at least to give it a try maybe i I think definitely I mean you know it's it's funny
1: there's there's so many different different ways to to go about doing this i mean there's the different stick models there's you know the muddy the lone wolf um, there's some other there's some other brands there's different tree stands there's the the whole wild edge um, um the basically the step ladders and things like that and what I've kind of done with all this is is i'm I'm putting them all together in different pieces so there's certain spots around my house that I know are always good and I'll leave up a certain set of steps that are permanent in the tree. And then I may just use a like uh, one or two sticks at the bottom just to get up and this way nobody else can get up in it. But basically I can walk up to it and without carrying everything, I just carry a couple of sticks. So I'm using all this in, in different things depending on what I'm doing. So if I'm hunting my property, I might have some permanent stands and I might just use the sticks. Um, Most of the time, to be honest with you, I've gotten to the point now that if I'm more or less exploring or running gunning, I just put on my, um, you know, the the tree settle and I carry my sticks with me that way because I just find it to be so much easier and so much lighter that it really makes me able to go farther and do more. And it really, you can get in any kind of tree you want. You know, most of the good lock-ons like the lone wolves and things like that, you can pretty much put them in almost any tree anyway because you can offset them different ways but this is even more so on top of that. I mean, it doesn't matter what the tree looks like at top, as long as there's a branch, you can pretty much get on it. And I don't mean a branch coming off, but um, as long as there's any main tree limb, you can get up. The angle doesn't really matter unless it really got, you know, crazy. Um, And I think that they mentioned, I've tried trees as narrow as maybe, you know, six or eight inches in diameter. It's a little hard to hide behind that, but I mean, you can get up with it without a problem. And I put them on trees that are probably um, at least 18 inches in diameter. I mean, some really big oaks or sycamores at my house. So, um, you know, without a doubt, it's, it leaves you open so when you find the spot you want to be in to hunt the deer, you don't have to look for a tree and try to, you know, end up too far away from that particular trail. You can pretty much find the trail, get up in the closest tree, and you're set to go. You can get up that tree without a problem. Gotcha.
0: I tell you what you are absolutely crazy uh, I always I always like to say you know if you can find someone who is smarter than you grab that person and I think this is you're gonna this is gonna be a good addition to the podcast um, we're gonna have you on several more times um, why don't you let the listeners know what we can expect as far as products the next uh, couple times that we talk so I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna leave that a little bit up to Dan as far as what he thinks the the listeners would like but you now I do a lot of work with different um, bows and bow accessories and setups which include sights and rests, uh, different types of bows because I'm, I'm I'm always trying to try different bows. Um, I try different arrows I actually uh, make all my own arrows, so um, i've got all the information as far as different shafts and different combinations with fletching and different types of broadheads, and then actually ways to put those together. Uh, amazing how much specifics you can get into with that as far as different angles of the fletch and numbers of the fletch and sizes of the fletch. Uh, so we can certainly go into any of that. Um, I also, you know, as you can imagine, working with how I've kind of mentioned the different tree stand setups, all that also goes into my particular gear that I bring from the flashlights to what type of bow hangers to what type of equipment and, you know, how to try to make everything just as, as quick and efficient as it can possibly be to To get up and and down a tree and to do what you got to do up there being as quiet as you can and not needing to bring anything else and i do some work with some food plots and things so i've finally went out and got myself a tractor and some supplies and i've been doing some work with that so um any of these things are are you know open game and i enjoy working with all this to pretty much the same uh kind of crazy extent and anything that dan thinks that uh, you guys might like i would be more than happy to talk about I, um, I've always found that I really enjoy doing what I'm doing, and it makes me very happy that I can kind of pass some of that knowledge along and hopefully either save some people some money or some, some headaches along the way and give some people some thoughts. And if anybody has any feedback or thoughts for me, I'm, I'm more than willing to listen because I think we're all in this together to do the same thing. We're just out here to enjoy ourselves and have a good time.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, Mike, hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I I will honestly say that I'm looking forward to the next time that we talk. Sounds great. All righty, everybody. That brings us to an end of today's podcast. Huge shout-out to Mike for coming on the podcast and laying down some knowledge for us on uh, some of these products. Again, I'm really looking forward to uh, this series that I'm g- going to be doing uh, with him. And hopefully what it, what it does is educate you guys on uh, different products or categories of products, uh, what to look for, um, what to be educated about uh, when asking or when looking for uh, something that fits your needs. Because when it's all said and done, when I do these product type of uh, podcasts, right, I want to educate you to hopefully, you know, give you the knowledge and information to make a decision on that product. Um, and yes, I do have partners. These are our companies that I believe in. Um, and straight up, some of these companies may not be the right fit for you. They're the right fit for me. They're, uh, uh companies that I've been using for a long time or, you know, have faith in, in some way, shape or form. And, uh, Or believe they're new and innovative. Um, And, uh, you know, those are the reasons. But what I, when we talk about these um, products, the best possible thing to do is to go and do your own research. Don't listen to anybody else. Yes, product reviews are fine. Listening to what your buddy says is fine. But, You have to use the equipment that is right for you. And as we all know, um, some of of the equipment, you know, some people have different budgets. You know, some guys are able to spend tons of money on gear while others have to, you know, save their pennies. So um, there's a huge variety of information out there. So be sure to, you know, do your research and, uh, you know, make the choice that's best for you guys other than that, you know, now, you know, with that said, I want to I want to take time to thank the the partners of this podcast because they are companies that uh, I truly believe in and have used or, you know, think are truly innovative, and that is deerlab.com, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ripcord Arrow Rests, um, Wasp Archery, Ozonics, and Finally, Gearhead. So be sure you guys go and check out those brands. Um, I'm a huge fan of them, and uh, if you guys were to jump me in the woods this this fall, you would see me with every one of those products. So with that said, check me out on Facebook, check me out on Twitter, check me out on Instagram. Go to iTunes, leave a review of this podcast. Hopefully, everybody has a great rest of your week. And if for some reason You're turkey hunting from a tree stand, wear your damn safety harness.